What is going on, everyone? It is Mike. Welcome back to Network Podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 26, 2022. I'm joined by my co-host, Holden DePardo. Holden, long time no talk. How are we doing, friend? I'm doing great. I'm excited to get into all this iPad discussion. Yeah, it's been a minute here. So last time we talked, the Mac Studio was on its way. The Apple Studio Displays was on its way. And uh, we're going to talk about really what Mark Gurman is saying about a solution to Apple's iPad software, iPad Pro software problem. So let's just dig right in. The iPad Pro, as I think there's a lot of people out there who love the iPad Pro, and, and it's it's not unrealistic, unrealistic to say why or to come to the same conclusion because the iPad Pro is a wonderful device, you know, especially when you look at the newer models like the 12.9 inch iPad Pro, which has the Super Retina XDR or Retina Liquid Retina XDR display or whatever they, their marketing talk is. But it's a great device to consume content in it. And it's actually, I mean, it's very powerful. It has the same M1 chip as uh, that's in all the devices today, you know, the M1 13 inch MacBook. Uh, sorry, MacBook Pro, the MacBook Air, the Mac Mini. So it's got the same set of capabilities that all these other devices has. But what seems to be holding a back hold in, and I would agree with this, is that there is not enough software available that really takes advantage of that hardware. Now, Mark Gurman writing in Bloomberg, this was on the 17th of April, where Mark Gurman is talking about Apple's thinking about offering a pro mode, kind of like what they have on the MacBook as a feature. So first, let's maybe let's take a step back, Holden. What is your feeling about the iPad maybe as a whole, and how do you feel like the software is progressing? Do you have any immediate feelings about that? Yeah, so I definitely understand the sentiment that it could offer a different experience than the iPhone to mm -hmm. differentiate it more, to take better advantage of, of the bigger display and what you should be able to do in the display. I get all that, and I definitely agree. I've started to kind of realize, though, that I don't know if Final Cut and Logic are, go are going to come to iPad. And I think that it might be an extremely intentional decision. Mm -hmm. And I think that I totally, totally get the desire for it. I don't personally use those apps. So like, I don't have a horse in that race. But just from like a, looking at the situation, I just don't think that it's something that enough people would utilize for mm -hmm. it to be worth Apple making Final Cut work with the touch display as the primary input method. And then also, I don't know if a touch input is should be the primary input method for Final Cut. If a mouse and keyboard is kind of more mandatory and being an iPad, you can't assume someone's using a mouse and a keyboard. So I don't know. I think that it just, I just kind of, uh, just don't think it's going to happen. That's like a totally pessimistic take, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I like your use of, of the phrase, you don't have a horse in this race. So I would agree with you that there are probably many challenges that Apple has to overcome with getting quote unquote or air quote pro apps to work on the iPad. And, and I think you mentioned one was like the touch targets, like you being able to manipulate your finger, right? Because your finger is the primary input method for these devices. And of course, you can adapt your finger to the magic keyboard or to a mouse or to a trackpad because they all have those that capabilities right now. But there doesn't seem to be like from what you like, agreeing with what you said, Apple doesn't seem to be inclined to push the set of underlying capabilities for the iPad Pro any further than it is today, whether that's they don't have the resources to do so. I, I don't think that's really the case. You know, they're a, the most valuable company in the world. They, yeah, they just don't have the money for it. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't they have the money get... or the resources. Uh, that, yeah. It's just not there today. Gosh, I wish wish we had more people to do stuff. 
If maybe if more people bought iPads. Yeah, maybe, maybe the, that's all that needs to happen. Yes, if the iPad was more popular, that would definitely be the case. But other than that, like there are capabilities that are missing from the iPad really to, I think, propel it as a device that can be used by more mainstream computers. Now, I'll tell you honestly, Holden, I sold my 11-inch iPad Pro over the weekend and I, I put it on Twitter and literally I got every fanboy kind of coming out of the woodwork saying, you don't know what you're talking about. The iPad Pro is super pro because I use it to draw. I'm like, okay, listen. Now, I agree. <laughs> I agree that the capabilities for the iPad for when you think about like artistic capabilities, drawing, graphics, it is well, well, or it's, it's very robust. That's how I would kind of frame it. A Mac could never compete with that. Yeah, a, a Mac could never compete with that. There's, you know, when you think about things that the iPad does very well and things about the, that Mac does very well, you know, those type of capabilities for drawing and artistry are really only present or maybe they're stronger on the iPad. They're not that great on the Mac. But when you think about everything else, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I think there's just some underlying things that are missing. And and I don't mm-hmm. I don't think I'm biased. I mean, I know that the things that people are talking about, like, you know, drawing graphics, those things are really good at it. I do those things kind of casually. I wouldn't call myself, you know, an expert or someone who's a professional by any means. But people who want to use the iPad, if you want to record podcasts, if you want to edit video, if you want to make beats, you want to make music, you literally cannot use the iPad, right? I mean, even if like basic file management is hindered or handicapped to such a great extent it's it's ridiculous you know what i mean you you can't even use the ipad for what are most basic things and people really didn't take to that very well at all to mark german's point or to mark german's article he's suggesting that apple would add a pro mode that somehow could be enabled either through some type of like a hardware dock i think that's what he said or through some type of software but I don't know if Apple is inclined to do this type of work for what could be a small set of users, right? Like it seems like a, it seems like a heavy lift for potentially not necessarily a big return. Now, I know Holden, you've recently, you know, you've gotten into coding. Like, can you imagine trying to code on an iPad? That seems like it would be quite ridiculous trying to use your finger to to code in C yeah. or C sharp. The only thing the iPad would be better at is I can type vertically more easily. Yeah. But uh, that's the only other than that, even then, it's like too small of a screen. Like you really need a bigger screen than that. And you, yeah, ideally multiple screens when you're coding so you can look at and reference things and exactly all that. to your point, right? About screens, you can't even extend your display on an iPad to an external display. You have to mirror it. Like if you close mm-hmm. your iPad dock, like if you have it in a keyboard and you close the lid, it stays on. Like it's unfathomable that they like release that people think that this yeah. is a pro product with that those type of features like that's a pretty big gap i think that's a really good example just to kind of do a small tangent here of something apple could do to make it to move it in the right direction i think yeah is let it usable when it's in sleep and maybe have the screen adapt to the display that it's attached to as mm-hmm. opposed to just keeping the same aspect ratio of the ipad on the screen like they're like that's an opportunity that i don't think would even be that difficult iOS is resolution independent now, so it shouldn't it shouldn't be a huge obstacle. I don't know. Like I, I would, <laughs> I would certainly hope so. I know yeah. you know we're, we're talking about this. We obviously don't have the complete picture, but it just seems at this point, what is it like ten years? Seriously, 10, eleven years since the iPad came out, two thousand and eleven, two thousand ten, two thousand ten. Yeah, pretty sure it's two thousand ten. Yeah, you're right, two thousand ten. I mean, it's been a minute 
It's been a minute. Tim and company, mm-hmm. they've got a lot. I know they got a lot to work on, cars and all that other cool stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, VR, AR goggles. But seriously, can I get extended desktop on my iPad already? <laughs> and it's been seven years since the iPad Pro. Seven years since it's like the, the one they've been pitching. Oh, yeah. wow. So like, it's been a while since they... Yeah, there's been more time now with an iPad Pro than not having an iPad Pro in the lineup. And that's kind of when you'd start think, you'd thinking we'd see features like that. I mean, it's the, the Pro version after all. Yeah. The analogy that I think of when I hear about this Pro mode, and you probably are familiar with this because you have a MacBook as well, is that you're able to do like, it's called power mode or power saving mode. So on mm-hmm. a, on your iPhone, right, you could turn on power saving mode where you want to save battery life. But on the Mac Pro, or sorry, on the MacBook Pro, you can tell your computer that you want to use more battery life and you at the expense of fan noise, which is actually a really cool, a really cool kind of trade-off because if you're oh, doing that, um, so if you go to battery and then you go to, uh, go to battery and then go to battery, it's called energy mode. And then let's turn this on. You, you have to do all this kind of jumping through hoops to turn it on. Energy mode, high power. That's what it's called on the Mac. You have a 16 or a 14? The 14. Is that only on the 16? I don't know. I believe it is actually. No, I'm sorry. I, th- I didn't know that. No, no, you're fine. Yeah. So it's high power mode. Yeah, I have and- a low power mode. Oh, Interesting. Okay. So on the 16 inch, it says energy mode, high power, normal, and then low power. It could be 15 or it could be 14, 16 inch. It also could be M1 Pro versus M1 Max. Uh, it could be. Yeah, I guess maybe this that's could be right. But it, it's a great feature. And that's what makes me think of like giving the user this option to turn on this, you know, pro mode when you have these certain set of conditions that are being met. Maybe you maybe you dock it to a keyboard, maybe you dock it to or you add a pencil, you know, you connect a mouse. And there's certain features that are enabled for each of those use cases. Maybe that's powered by automation or by by shortcuts. Like every time you connect it, you know, it does this transformation like Optimus Prime uh, into something that you didn't have before that you didn't have at the uh, at your that wasn't exposed to you. To me, that would make the iPad like the most compelling convertible. I know it's not really convertible in the traditional sense where you could use it like that. I don't know. Are you big on convertibles like uh, the yoga tablets from, is it Lenovo? Like they were that you could take. I the, haven't used one. Yeah, I haven't used so one I in a while. Like, I don't know how I'd actually feel about it if I used it. Like the notch, I was against the notch at first when I used it. And I'm like, it's fine. It doesn't really yeah. matter. I don't know. I feel like the experience of flipping it up backwards and it's like the, holding the keyboard from on the back of it. I think mm-hmm. that'd be kind of weird and awkward. But that's just me imagining it. I haven't used it. So I'm not necessarily into the idea, but I don't really know. And maybe, uh, so maybe the, the yoga or the Lenovo yoga, it was a bad example. Didn't Microsoft release a, a Surface Studio laptop, like a convertible? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, um, the Surface Book, you can like, it basically the keyboard and the, it's like a Surface tablet, but then it docks into a keyboard and yes. you can also close it like a laptop. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Now that would be that cool. That I'm into. I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah, that I'm into. That That sounds like a really neat idea. I think there's there are some unique challenges with doing so, right? Like you have the ba- the battery is all going to be self-contained within the display because you want to be able to use the display by itself. Wow, and it's it's got to be heavy. Surface Book Three. Now it's also a little awkward because both like ends of it are the same thickness. Yeah. Whereas in a laptop, you're usually used to the display being incredibly thin. Yeah. And then most of the thickness is in the the base of the computer. But that it's it's really weird not having that with a Surface Book. I have held one of those before. Yeah. Now I know we're just we're just 
completely theorizing here, but what if it was the same thickness of the MacBook Pro? Because the MacBook Pro is really thick and boxy now, right? Like if you think about yeah. that, it's thick and boxy. You, you, I mean, they just split it, split it differently. That would be interesting. I don't know. So you're saying like it would basically be the iPad Pro right now, but if the keyboard would be just as thick as that together, they would yeah. be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be interesting. I don't know. Again, I'm just kind of thinking here. I don't know what else Apple could do to the iPad Pro to make it more pro-like other than what, you know, what Mark is suggesting in this article. But, you know, for me, I think it's kind of like Apple doesn't want us to use this device as a replacement for my computer. They, or they don't want anyone to use this device. They want you to buy both devices. Like it's, when you think about, you know, your your iPhone works really good by itself, but it works better when you have your iPhone and your iP- or uh, AirPods. Everything works better together when you're in the ecosystem. And that feels what they're doing here with the iPad Pro to a certain extent. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, um, and I feel like I've, I've said this before, but I feel like the iPad is a good companion to the Mac. And if they did start doing pro app stuff with the iPad, maybe you'd have like a Final Cut companion app where you could do color corrections with the Apple Pencil yeah, and it, like something like that, like where it utilizes kind of the the benefits of the iPad. I don't know what that would be for Logic. Actually, they had a companion app for Logic at one point. They still do. Where you basically, do they still have it? Okay, yeah. It's like basically you have uh, knobs and sliders for different controls in Logic. Yeah. Just having a little control. Logic is kind, of, kind of a cool idea. I haven't used it, but it sounds cool. I feel like that's kind of where they would go, where it kind of fitting into the ecosystem and has its place in the ecosystem. I feel like that makes the most sense. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that paves the way for a larger iPad. I don't know. There, I think there's a lot of options there where they could go, but it, it just, I don't know. I, I'm kind of turned, like having sold my 11-inch iPad Pro, I'm just kind of turned off. Maybe I'm a little bit salty right now. You know, like we're breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I I think for the most part, to me, it seems like Apple doesn't want us to use these devices. And, and I know that's probably going to be a controversial stance, but I don't think they want to, you to use your iPad Pro as a replacement. They want it to use a re- as a replacement for computing, but they still want you to have your Mac for those tasks that you can't do on your iPad. And that's the same thing with all the devices. You know, you you're trying to push or put them out of friction between you know your iPhone and your iPad, so you can the tasks that your iPhone can do now. You're just you broaden or deepen the tasks that the uh, the iPad Pro can do. I have something that just kind of hit me right now too, which is from Apple's perspective, this is probably a really strange request. I think there's a there's a and this exists in any industry, but I think there's a disconnect between you know tech commentators, tech journalists, and just general people who use yeah. the devices. And I think this is an example of it because I think this is a conversation that makes a ton of sense for commentators i edit on my a mac i would like people to do that on my ipad because i make these videos for youtube like that exists it's totally legitimate for to, to want that but then from apple's perspective it's like hey can you make your product that sells like many times more than your mac can you make that more like the product that doesn't sell as well yeah yeah exactly it's it's probably a very strange thing for like apple to like to hear because they just do serve such different purposes. And to them, like the iPad's the bigger seller. Like they're thinking, how can we make the Mac more like an iPad? Yes, you're spot on there. They're, they're like, wait, you're, you're telling me the thing that you're not buying, you want us to make the thing that you are buying like the thing that you're not buying, right? Is that what is that what I heard you say? Like, yeah, that's what we heard. Well, now that you say that, it does sound kind of weird. But yeah, that's what we want <laughs> you to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's It just... Holden, I I, 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 I just don't get people sometimes. I totally, totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. 
the amount of people that hold in the network is just like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, you're right. I don't. So it's, it's the internet. <laughs> it's, it, it's Twitter. Yeah. It's yeah, Twitter specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it could, it could be good reason why they didn't add the liquid retina, you know, the, the liquid retina display to the 11 inch iPad pro. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know, Holden. It's just the whole thing's got me in a tizzy. Just, are you excited about WWDC? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. This is actually more excited than I usually am for WWDC. Really? Just because, oh, my my theory of like, we're going to see the headset. I'm like, really, I think we're going to, oh, we're going to see it. I still think so. And it's feeling less and less likely, but I'm going to go optimistic and say yes. So I'm excited. Okay. So I'd like to see that uh, that level of enthusiasm for you or from you regarding the headset. I don't think I have really kind of a of informed opinion regarding the headset or not at WWDC. It does make sense, like the argument that you laid out or the the logic that you laid out. It does make sense because you have developers, you have the audience, you have the attention, and it's not something that they would like do as a. It's like the Apple Watch when they first talked about it. They basically had it with a, a small subset of people that could talk about it and get more attention or get more excitement around it, but they wouldn't release it for six months or however long that was. That would be interesting. And by the way, I'm not like so set that if it didn't announce, I'd be like, you know, damn, I really thought it was going to happen. Like, I know it might not happen. I get it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's totally okay. And I think what makes the... Now, wait, just to step back. Is the headset AR or VR? So I can... For myself. Well, I think this is the, the AR, VR, like mixed reality... Okay. Headset, not the glasses, but like the more in line with like what you expect from an Oculus, but with mm-hmm. some AR support as well. Okay. So it's a, it's a wearable headset that you would wear for short periods of time. It needs to be plugged into power and like control something like that. You, you're not walking outside or driving your car with it on. It's like glasses, like what you have on or what yeah, I Yeah, no, it's not glasses. Okay. No, no, no. That apparently is a ways away. I'm really excited about those two, but um, not out of interest of using it. I actually don't want to use them, but that's a whole other conversation. I'm just curious what they do with them. I'm just, it's just curiosity. Same with the headset. I'm not going to get one probably, but, um, probably you probably, I have no idea. Yeah. There are the rumors saying that it might be connected to an iPhone, but like wirelessly, like an Apple watches and it'll kind of power off the iPhone or it'll be its own independent device. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's, I don't think it'll need to be plugged into power, but I do think that it will. I do think it'll be probably more connected to, to, um, the iPhone probably if it, if it is being used for consumption, but I don't know. We'll see. I still think it's going to be for development and for like making mm-hmm. AR content. So who knows? Who knows if it's going to be more Mac connected or iPhone connected? What's the new Oculus uh, model number? Is like the Oculus Quest Two or something like that? Uh, Quest Two, yeah, I think so. Okay, so so the the Oculus Quest that is independent from another device. All the compute is done inside of the headset, correct? Or is it correct. You, okay? Yeah. So you don't need to connect it to your computer or to a phone or anything like that. It's all done in the headset. What I think Apple would be interested or maybe not interested in is like, I have no idea how long the battery life is on the Quest, but I think that's something that they're going to probably get the hit on then. If that's the case, if they're going to demo this, one of the things that they want to differentiate themselves from is from the competition is like battery life. So how long is the battery life on the Quest? And like, maybe that's the benchmark and how do mm-hmm. they improve that? I don't know. I think those are all really good, good kind of uh, theories on how it would work. Yeah, we'll see. Interesting. Those are some interesting thoughts. That's uh, that's that's uh, that's piqued me a little bit there. That's interesting. Yeah, Pita was uh, piqued my interest. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Holden. 
So we talked about the iPad Pro and we actually just had a short agenda today. What else do you want to talk about, if anything? I don't know. Or no, I guess I have a question for you, which is now that we've now that you've kind of used the Mac Studio, mm-hmm. you're thinking about you want to get it back. And I'm curious about that, too. OK, where do you think the Mac Pro is going to fit now that you kind of use the Mac Studio? Where do you think that that next step is after testing the M1 Ultra? OK, so let's maybe let's just rewind for kind of for the sake of clarity. So I ordered the M1 Ultra day and date that it came out. I actually was able to pick it up at a store. So I and what they had at the store were just really base configurations. If you want the M1 Ultra, it was the M1 Ultra with one terabyte of storage and 32 gigs of uh, sorry, 64 gigs of memory. If you wanted the M1 Max in the studio, it was 512 gigs of storage, 32 gigs of RAM with 24 cores, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, when I bought the Ultra, I actually didn't open it for two days because I'm like, if I open this, I know I'm going to keep it because I know myself. All right. And then after opening it like two days later, I'm like, wow, this thing is super powerful. And like I told you, you know, just for my workflows with editing video, it was way overkill. Like I was able to do like kind of like these like common tasks I do with editing video, like run effects in not Audacity, but Isotope uh, effects in my Final Cut Pro. I was able to open like 32 Chrome tabs at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. But really, it was just a lot of headroom. And that's how I would explain it. It really gave me the freedom to have many different things open at the same time. I returned the Mac Studio M1 Ultra and I contemplated getting the M1 Max. And just for sake of clarity, I have an M1 Max Mac Pro that we're talking on right now. This is the M1 Max 32 core, if I'm not mistaken. Um, about this Mac. Yeah, you went all out on that thing. Okay, so this is the M1 Max 32 gig, uh, one terabyte. Now, the thing that really attracted me to the M1 Ultra, or at least to the form factor of the Mac Studio, was the all of the ports that were on it. So on the back, you have four Thunderbolt ports, two USB-A, HDMI 2.0, and a partridge in a pear tree, and an Ethernet port. And then on the front you have two Thunderbolt ports as well. If you go to the the M1 Max, those two Thunderbolt ports are actually um, USB-C ports. So the nice thing about it is that I was able to hook up everything in my setup without having to use a dock. Now, that's not really a big deal. I mean, docks aren't super expensive. I think the dock that I have from OWC was maybe like 250 bucks when I bought it a year and a half ago. But the problem with Thunderbolt docks is that they... It's a shared resource on the back. So when you plug something in, all of the upstream resources, or sorry, all the upstream bandwidth to your Mac is shared for everything that's downstream. So you don't necessarily get a full 40 gigabits if you're sharing it between like, you know, two um, like SSDs or whatever the case is. So it is shared bandwidth from that perspective. After kind of contemplating it for a couple of weeks, I'm like, I think I want to get the M1 Ultra again. Only from the respect that I could, uh, only from the perspective that I want to be able to consolidate some of the things that I have on my desk. Like that to me is like pretty big. I don't know what I would do with my MacBook Pro. Like I don't know what the quote unquote perfect setup is for the MacBook Pro or for for me, sorry, whether that is the Mac Studio and maybe my iPad, my 12.9 inch iPad, because I still do own an iPad. I didn't completely ditch the, the ecosystem like people thought. Um <laughs> But so, so for me, I think that the M1 Ultra is a pretty compelling offer only because of the amount of headroom that it offers and like future proofs me. Now, to your question, what do I think it's going to be for the Mac, sorry, for the Mac Pro, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how they are going to design the modularity part. That, that to me is not 
it's unknown. Like I know that on the Mac Studio, there is some modularity, not modularity, there are some open ports for storage, but those are only available like when you configure the device. Like it's, So the SSDs are available in certain sizes and then each part of the card or each part of the motherboard has a, a certain number of slots. So when they fill that, it's, it's, it you know, can't be changed because they're super small. They're not like even M2. They're like they're like maybe um, two inches tall or two inches long, excuse me. I don't know how they're going to solve that. So that to me is really interesting. And I don't know how they're going to solve the, the GPU problem because, well, I call it a problem. I don't know how they're going to solve the GPU because it is going to have to be like super cool because the M1 Max or the M1 Ultra is like it, the way it's cooled. It seems to be like it's, uh, it's, they took cooling very, very seriously in that device. Two say that. pounds of extra cooling in yeah. the uh, M1 Ultra model. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to do the heat, heat sink. What, what I thought about was if a couple of years ago, there were people who were like floating a rumor that Apple was doing a modular design, but the modular design was basically external modules that were connected via some type of proprietary interface, like on the feet of the device. So you basically kind of like snap it in. I thought that was really cool, like very, a very Apple thing to do <laughs> to say it one way, but obviously <laughs> they never did that. And maybe that's what they would do, but I don't think that there is a, like a, a switching fabric or a fabric that they could use that is external to the, to the device that w- would even work. Right. Cause you, it'd have to have a, a degree of rigidity and like toughness to it where you can't, you know, it's not going to get, uh, it's not going to stop working if you get your fingerprint on it. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 You can't be that sensitive. That'd be insane. No, it would be insane. It'd have to withstand like the, you know, being used on like a, in a pro workflow, like in someone's, they're just like kind of shuffling it around. It's on a a DIT cart or um, uh, it's on a film set. Like there's all types of like things that you have to account for. And that would not work. But the Mac Pro is, I think it's got a very, very short life coming up. (laughs) It's going to have to be something. Yeah. Your point, like M1 complicates things so much with this. And I feel like what you just mentioned with the the modular that I think makes the most sense. Like you, you might buy like, I don't know, like M1 in some sort of package. Like you pick which M model you want, yeah. you slide it in and in the future, like M3 ultra. And you're like, man, that's, that's the one I've been waiting for. And I want to get that one. You can just slide that yeah. in and it works, but then it has to work with graphics cards and it's just, yeah, you bring up good questions. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, if you think about it, like, um, the fastest computer interface, or, like, that computer, like, the fastest interface right now is, like, PCIe 4, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's, like, 16 or uh, it's, it's 4. It's f- <laughs> I don't want to mis- misquote the actual specs, but I think PCIe 4 is, like, the fastest right now. And there's nothing, like, it's directly connected to the board, so there's nothing like that. It's, like, way, way, way faster than Thunderbolt and even Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4. So I don't know how they would solve that problem. It is really interesting. I'm interested to see how they do that, but it's probably going to be very expensive and only kind of catered towards people with serious, you know, pro workflows. Yeah, and that's where they can go pricier with it. Like, if they come up with some sort of solution, but it's expensive, I feel like they can absolutely get away with it in, oh, yeah. in the market. For sure. And the market of the Mac Pro exists. And maybe that's why they emphasize the studio more. Where it's like, hey, if you need that level of performance, but you know, Mac Pro is too much of an investment for you, the studio now exists in a way it didn't really before. So maybe they are positioning for something like that. 
Absolutely. I mean, if you think about the top end of the Mac Studio, it's only $8,000. I mean, $8,000 is a shit ton of money. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's... Yeah, but for uh, professional equipment, though, it really... It's, it's not a lot of money at all. Especially when you think yeah. about the Mac Pro, I think it topped out at like forty-eight dollars or $49,000. So it's like five times more expensive or six times more expensive. Didn't Marquez Brownlee buy like a $44,000 version of the Mac Pro or something like that? Yeah, he did. And That's then like he- now Optolite. <laughs> Or not absolutely, but uh, outclassed. It's outclassed. You're right. And he replaced it with a like a $7,000, $8,000 Mac Studio. And if you think about like, I mean, not just the um, the performance improvements, but you also have like the performance from a compute perspective, but you have the thermal improvement, the power consumption improvement, the space consolidation. You're getting way, way better, way, way better kind of performance all around on the Mac Studio than you are on the Mac Pro. Obviously, there are some things that the Mac Pro is just going to excel at because of the sheer number of cores that it has. Like it's almost where it, it probably still outperforms like a Threadripper in some respects. And how you can tweak the card configuration for the GPU. I haven't seen anyone test the high end cards, but maybe I just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. But that, it's a really good question, Holden. I think I think the Mac Pro, whenever they announce it, and I think the Mac Pro will be talked about at... Uh, what is it called? Uh, WWDC. I forgot the name for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it'll be talked about WWDC because that definitely is the audience for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also that makes me think if we see that at WWDC, what's the likelihood we're going to see the mixed reality headset there too? Probably not. I don't think they would, they wouldn't do two pieces of hardware at WWDC like that. Unless they're just showing off the software for the, for mixed reality and they'll do the headset later who knows they don't usually do it like that yeah it would totally be apple to say that okay we we have this new headset but it can, like it only can be run on like the if it's developer version it can only be run on the mac pro which is now available <laughs> you know what i mean they're they're coupling yeah. the two together but you know to your, to your other question regarding the studio display i think the studio display is a fantastic, I mean, I, I I like it a lot. Right now we're talking on it. This is the image quality that you're seeing from it. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, this is the image quality. It looks quality. good. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. This is the image quality from that. And of course, I, I do have a huge softbox right here, but um, that which helps with the lighting. But it is, it's pretty nice and it sounds good. I'm just wrapping up my review uh, right now, but I think it's, it's, it's certainly expensive and there's no doubt about that. And it's not for everyone. It's not even for like a, a minority of people who want that it's it's actually for like a fraction like people who are really they're highly sensitive to like scaling because the scaling looks or the the text and the pixels it's just crystal clear on this device which uh, which stand did you get did you get the um tilt and adjust or which one did you get uh, this is this is regretful mike talking right now so i bought the standard version the 1599 version and i regret getting it in this configuration, I wish I would have chose the tilt and height adjustable, but I didn't think, well, so one, I didn't want to pay the extra 300 bucks or 400 bucks for it. I'm like, I'm not doing that. In hindsight, I probably should have, or I probably should have got the vest amount because that would have given me the most flexibility. I mean, the stand is really nice, but it's, it needs to come up. Like I have my desk sitting at 30 inches. So this right now, the camera is just about right here on my head. So it's just about, that's why I'm looking up for it. So it's a little bit too high for me. I'd like to have it a little bit uh, lower down, but it, it is a very nice display. Is it worth $1,500 or $1,600? I think for a small, small set of people, right? When 
sorry, small set of users. And like in, in terms of pure numbers, that user base is huge because the people number of people that use Mac OS is huge, but it's a very, like a fraction of people that use it. It's, it's worth it. But for everyone else, I don't think so. It's just me though. Yeah, I'm curious to how it stands against the um, Samsung M8 display. Oh, uh, you know who did a review of that? Mac- that looks pretty nice. It does look really nice. Mac Rumors did a, a, um, a review of that just recently. It was just on their blog oh, awesome. like two or three days ago. You know, what people don't- I'll check it out. People don't understand that finding displays that are both high quality in terms of the number of pixels and large in size is very, very few and far between. There's only a handful of people that do that. And when you start getting to a certain like class of display, it, it, I mean, the, the price really jumps up. You know, I would say since I've been buying computers, maybe when you were a kid, like displays have went down in cost. Like now you can get a 4K display for like 200 bucks or 300 bucks, which is still a lot of money. I'm not saying that at all, but people are so, so used to that cost. And when they see this, they're like, oh my God, that's so expensive. Why would I spend that kind of money on it? Well, the difference is really night and day. Is it worth it for most people? And probably not. But the M8 yeah. does look really nice. It's only a 4K display, and I don't believe that it's retina quality, but I'd have to double check that. Really? That'd be wild. It's not 5K? It's 4K? Yeah, I'm almost positive it's 4K. What, what's it called? The Samsung M8? The Samsung M8, yeah. Oh, you're talking about the Samsung M8 or the studio display? Studio display is 4K, is 5K, right? Yeah, the studio display is 5K. It's 218 pixels per inch. I think the M8 is 4K. Oh, okay. I was talking about different monitors there, but now I'm on the same page as you, okay. Yeah, let's see here. So it is 32 inch. The M8 is 32 inches. It, 4K, it, yeah. 4K. So you're getting less uh, You're getting less pixels per inch. You have to be. Bigger screen, less pixels per inch. Yeah. Do they even list the pixels per inch? Uh, but it's half the cost. So you could get two, you know, effectively for the same price. What was really nice about the Samsung display, and they're doing this with all their TVs, is they're do- they're doing this integration of like you know it's not just a it's not just a monitor for your computer it's a TV it does you know set top box so it do- really does like a you know a jack of all trades so to speak um, which makes it really cool and they have this really cool camera attachment I don't know if you've seen it it basically it's a it's a camera for the display and it plugs into the back of the dis- uh, of the display with via USB C it's like it's maybe like an inch tall by an inch wide it's very cool. Like it's, I, I've, I've never seen someone do that before. In theory, you probably could even upgrade it. Maybe like if they came out with a new camera module to get better quality, I would think that's why they did it. Interesting. Yeah. But other than that, Holden, I, I think that the WWDC will be very, very exciting this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because uh, WWDC is one of the few places where things don't leak. You rarely find out about software ahead of time in the same way you find about iPhones ahead of time. Yeah. No, like no comparison. So I'm excited about that. Each year I kind of get surprised. I always think, okay, this is the year where they're going to slow down a little bit and just kind of polish it up like an iOS 11 where they just kind of like slowed things down a little bit, just optimized bug fix a bunch of stuff. And it was just all about stability improvements. And I always think, okay, last year was a big update. They're going to do that again this year. And they always just do this huge update. It seems like um, in the past few years. So I don't know what to expect. Is this going to be the slow down, um, stabilize? Um, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I did hear uh, a rumor on Mac rumors that um, Apple watch is going to have a pretty big update with a lot of health focused features. So I'm, I'm very curious about that because I feel like the Apple watch updates have not been super significant 
in the past few years. So I'm, I'm excited to see what big updates they could do. Yeah. As exciting as I think the Apple Watch is, I don't know what else they w- could do to get me to, to upgrade. Like I, I'm actually mm-hmm. of the mind where I'm like, I don't even know if I, like, I, I kind of almost regret going from the six to the seven. And I mean, I, I actually, you know, full stop. If I wasn't making videos about tech, I probably wouldn't have bought it. Actually, I, I probably, I would not have bought it. So I don't know if I have that mindset. A lot of other people definitely have that mindset because, you know, that's just not like an early adopter mindset. What really could they do to make it so compelling where someone's like, I have to have this or not, I have to upgrade. And people got to be coming the, like the biggest, excuse me, the, like the, the, the groundswell of people that are upgrading are probably coming from the Apple Watch Series 3 because I think that's when it like really started to take off and those people haven't upgraded mm-hmm. for several years. So to your point yeah. and to Mac Rumors, uh, to their article, they really have to make it compelling for people to upgrade. I agree. I agree. On a software and on a hardware level, I feel like the display doesn't, it's nice, but it, uh, on the Series 7, but it, I don't think it makes enough of a difference for like me as a Series 5 user or even a Series 4 user to want to upgrade. So I agree. I'm curious what the next thing is. Maybe maybe they're finally going to do the uh, design refresh later on this year. Yeah. like it, to, to that point, the design refresh for the supposed Pixel Watch that leaked looks really, really nice. Like It, looks, it does. It yeah. looks sharp. I guess it's a traditional circle design or oval design. And it kind of makes the Apple Watch look a little dated. Especially with the glass on the Pixel curving all the way to the edge in such a bold way. Yeah. It's very subtle on the watch that it kind of curves a little bit. It's hardly noticeable. If it even really does at all. Yeah, a little bit it does. A little bit. But that's like a full-on curve to the side. Yes. It's pretty impressive. I really like the design language that Google uses in the Pixel inside of their apps. I think it's actually, it looks really sharp. It's a material design, that's what they call it, on like the UI. But I really something like, like that. Something yeah. like that. I really like the design language that they use on their hardware. It's inviting, maybe is a way to say it. You know, like their HomePod, uh, what, are they, what do they call their HomePod? It's just, it's, uh, it's welcoming. Google Home. Google Home. Or Thank Nest you. Home, I think is what it is. Is it Google Home or? Yeah, it's just Google Home. They don't do Nest something like that, whatever. <laughs> they change their name all like every six months. And the Pixel 2 is, I think, one of the best looking smartphones ever with the Panda design. I love that. It looks awesome. Yeah, I agree with you. I I love the Pixel 6. I think it it's, it's so nice where I want to use it without a case, but I'm very afraid that I'm going to scratch it or something like that. I'm like, uh, I don't want to use that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anything else Holt, that you want to talk about, bud? Uh, nothing I can think of right now. Just uh, looking forward to WBDC, which I don't think is actually that far away. We're like a little over a month. Uh, it's June 6th through the 10th. Yeah, a little over a month. Holden, where can everyone find you at? I am on I am on Elon Musk's Twitter, um, <laughs> at Holden Depardo. Um, it's his now. You have to say Elon Musk's Twitter now every time you say Twitter. Yeah. I told him the part out, I don't tweet in it very often. So as I always say at the end of these, you're better off following Michael uh, on Twitter because he does much more interesting content than I do there. Michael, where can people find you? Well, hold on. Thanks very much. I can be found on Twitter at Caputo. That's C-A-P-U-T-O. And uh, that, and I hold on. I appreciate you joining us today and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Holden.